encourage your attention tonight to the book of Galatians. We're going to begin a, a short series of messages on our Sunday night services on the life of Isaac. I'm going to call Isaac the child of promise. Let's stand together, please, as we reverence the reading of God's word. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, our children of promise. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You may be seated. Isaac is unique in many ways, but not the least of which being because he stands as both a type of Jesus Christ in his actions and in his life. Abraham's greater son, Isaac, was, of course, the promised child and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, but, but Isaac was uh, just a figure of the greater promised one, the Messiah, uh, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Isaac's birth was miraculous, and of course so was Jesus' birth, uh, obviously so. Even much more miraculous than Isaac's was. Uh, yet still, he was not only a type of Jesus Christ, but also, we see in Galatians chapter 4, uh, he was a type of us. We are, Paul says, like Isaac. We are like Isaac. In the sense that we too are the children of promise. Now, in Galatians chapter 4, Paul is contrasting the, uh, the life of faith, the life of promise, with the life of bondage. In the life of servitude. Uh, he would speak of the law of Moses and how the Galatians were being tempted to leave the liberty that they had in Christ Jesus and put themselves back under the letter, the rules and the regulations uh, of the law of Moses. Uh, the Judaizers had come to the churches in, in Galatia and teaching them that believing in Jesus was good, but uh, you know, you're going to have to keep the law. And so Paul was not giving them any, any slack at all. You'll remember in chapter 1, uh, Paul said uh, that uh, if any man would come unto you preaching unto you any other gospel that I've received, let him be accursed. Uh, Paul didn't talk about those people as being good folks. He said, let them be anathema, accursed. A very strong, strong condemnation that he gave to these false teachers leading these people away from the liberty they had in Christ Jesus and back under the bondage of the law. In Galatians 4, he's going to bring up two women, uh, Hagar and Sarah, and use them as an allegory. Now, there's a lot of times that people make allegories of the Scripture, and they take a lot of liberty with the Word of God in doing so. The only time we make something allegorical is when the Bible tells us so. An allegory is when one thing represents something else. And in this case, we know that Sarah, what was happening between Sarah and Abraham and Hagar and Abraham were, in fact, allegorical. Because of all things, Paul said, Hagar was an allegory of the Jews in their rejection of Jesus Christ Yet the product of Abraham, but only of the flesh. Because you see, that's what I, Ishmael was. Ishmael was the product of the flesh. And Paul is going to say that very clearly. 
in uh, Galatians chapter 4. It must have been a bitter pill for the Jewish readers to read those words when Paul sent them uh, to Galatians. Of all things that Hagar would represent Mount Sinai, of all things that uh, her unnamed son, by the way, Paul didn't even name him in Galatians 4. He just calls him the child of the flesh. And he would tell us then that as then, and as it was then, so it is today, that the child of the flesh, the children of the flesh, would persecute those who are the children of promise. The promise then would represent the New Testament people of God, whether Jew or Gentile, united as one, you see, by their faith in Christ Jesus and living in the promises of God and yet persecuted by the children of the flesh. It may sound a little complicated, but if you take a few moments tonight to read over Galatians 4, you'll see it all played out for us. You may not understand it completely. I'll admit there's some things that's a little complicated there. And yet the reality of it comes through. We are like Isaac. We are the children of promise. The main emphasis that Paul was going to make was that the Isaacs should never consider going back to put ourselves under bondage. Why would we want to join Ishmael of whom it had been said by God, cast out the bondwoman and her son? Because the children of the flesh would, would not be heir with the children of the promise. Why then, as the children of promise, would we ever even think of putting ourselves back under the power of bondage and the power of the flesh? But as we'll see as we go along in our consideration of Isaac's life, we'll see him more and more dominated by the flesh, ironically. More and more isolated by his bad decisions. We'll see that no matter how promising a life may be, or even how much a person may be the child of promise, it doesn't isolate us from the possibility of being dominated by the flesh or putting ourselves back under its power. We, brethren, like Isaac was, are the children of promise. The flesh, though, was a threat to the brethren in Galatia. It's a threat to us as well. But the overwhelming characteristic of Isaac's life then becomes the overwhelming characteristic of our life. We exist as a product of the power of God and in fulfillment of the promises of God. Genesis chapter 21 verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. You see, though Isaac was absolutely the offspring of Abraham and Sarah, he had a fleshly father. He had a fleshly mother. Yet his conception and birth were directly attributed to the power of God. There was absolutely no doubt because God waited. God waited until it wasn't difficult for Sarah to have a child. It was impossible for her to have a child. There's no way of the flesh it could have been done. 
So his very existence was because of the direct intervention of God. For 25 years, Abraham and Sarah had waited on God to fulfill that promise. 25 years of longing and looking and hoping. And yes, of helping. <laughs> it just had to help. I mean, it does get a little difficult on us sometimes waiting on God to do what he said he's going to do. But when we set out to help God do what only God can do, we're going to make a mess. And oh, how the, they made a mess. Now we're going to shift our attention to the story of Isaac. And we might think that the Holy Spirit would linger over the long details of his life, showing all the wonderful experiences that this promised child, the one that Abraham and Sarah had waited so long for, the one that God's power had intervened for, the one that had such an amazing and miraculous beginning, the child of promise. Oh, we might expect to get so much then about him in Scripture. But we don't. In fact, Isaac's life was mostly hidden in obscurity. So much promise, so much hope, such a mighty miracle, such an incredible fulfillment of God's promises and even a prophecy. But then Isaac lived his life out under the shadow of his father and of his sons. And in fact, Isaac's story was so bound up with the story of his father and his son that it's impossible to tell Isaac's story without telling it through Abraham and through Jacob. Abraham, you see, lived to be 175 years old. That means that Isaac was 75 when Abraham died. He was 60 years old. When his twin sons, Jacob and Esau, were born, 60. That meant that those twins were able to spend 15 glorious years with their grandpa Abraham. <laughs> That's pretty special. Understand this, we can see the story of Isaac's life told between his birth in Genesis chapter 21, the recorded activities in chapter 28, and his death at the age of 180. 180 is recorded in Genesis 35. The telling of Isaac's story is somewhat complicated. In fact, the telling of all of our life stories is somewhat complicated. We're all a strange mixture of success and failure and a victory and defeat of good choices and terrible mistakes. And in the telling of our stories, we would love to emphasize the good and remove all the bad. But the fact is that the two are inseparably intertwined. Our life is a story of success and of failure. Good choices, bad choices, great decisions, bad mistakes. And who we are right now is a product of both. Both. The longtime announcer for the Philadelphia Phillies, Harry Callis, Callis, once introduced Philadelphia baseball player Gary Maddox by saying, Gary's turned his whole life around. He used to be depressed and miserable, but now he's miserable and depressed. <laughs> uh, wouldn't it be sad if that was our life story? 
But you know, that could be anybody's life story that doesn't have faith in Jesus Christ as its primary determining factor because you and I know that the thing that makes the difference is not that we're so special and not that we're so smart. The thing that makes a difference is that the mighty Spirit of God leads us as a child of God. So that when we make mistakes in or when we sin, when we fail, the Spirit of God is convicting us so that we confess our sin. We, we admit it. And God is faithful and just then to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is the Spirit of God then that leads us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yeah, it's the mighty power of the Spirit of God that makes us more than just the product. Though we are... To some degree, it makes us more. There's more to say than just that. Tonight we're going to highlight a couple of scenes where Isaac was living under the leadership of his father. Probably one of the most famous of all biblical scenes given to us about Isaac's life. And uh, also a very sorrowful time. So we first of all see that Isaac learned to live in submission. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 6 uh, tells a story of how that uh, Abraham was commanded by God to take Isaac up on Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. You remember how the Bible says that Isaac asked on the way up. He said, my father, and he said, uh, here I am, my son. He said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. No wonder the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham made this trek by faith. He was trusting God all along to provide himself a lamb. The two of them went together. They came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on an altar upon the wood. Isaac was not a little fellow. He carried the wood for the sacrifice. He was a grown man, strong man, young man. You say, well, I'm not sure that Isaac could have overcome Abraham. Yeah, but he could have outrun him. Amen? I mean, Abraham was old. There's no way that he could keep up with him. Abraham bound him on the altar. Abraham bound him on the altar. You see, that's a matter of submission. Was Isaac presented in this text as a type of the greater seed of Abraham? Yes, Jesus would say of this incident many years later, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. The people that heard Jesus say that scoffed at him. Said, You're not nearly old enough to have been able to see Abraham. And yet Jesus did see Abraham. When? He saw him here. <laughs> and Abraham saw Jesus. He saw him in that lamb, that ram that was caught by the, th by the horns in and in a, in a thicket of, of thorns with a crown of thorns on its head. He saw him. Yes. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Tonight we want to highlight Isaac's part of the story. We see him questioning his father, saying, where's the lamb? Even as he carries the wood, never questioned that. Uh, obviously a fine spectacle of young manhood, and yet submissive to his father. Such a submissive spirit is not born overnight. 
But it is something we can see at this point in Isaac's life and in his character. It might have been possible for Isaac to have born up, grown up as a pampered and petted child, spoiled rotten by his parents. But that was not the case. Instead, Isaac grew up to honor his father and his mother, as the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, so that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord hath given thee. Unless we be uh, of a mind tonight that this was simply something for the Old Testament, let's remember Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. Here's Isaac then, the child of promise. And one of the things, one of the few things that the Holy Spirit highlights about the life of Isaac was that he learned to live in submission to his father and to honor him and to respect him. Uh, in the world in which we live today, my, don't children stand out who obey their parents? Don't children stand out who are raised to be respectful? To honor old, not only their parents, but also to older people in general? To be obedient? Maybe you might just call me old-fashioned. Some people do. I never thought I'd live long enough to be called old-fashioned. But I have. I have. It impresses me to no end when I hear a child say, yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. I was raised that way. Most of you were raised that way. You say, oh, but that's just a quaint feature of a bygone age. No, it's not. That is showing us children who are taught to respect their parents, to honor their parents, to respect to others as well. Isaac learned then, and being a part of this family of faith, as the Holy Spirit emphasizes, to live in submission, that his great privilege, though he had it, his great wealth, though he was a part of that family, did not go to his head or ruin his life. And all we have to do is look at him bound on that altar, submitting to his father to know that. Here was a man of, young, of great faith, He's learned the value of self-control and submission. And oh, how God can use that in the culture in which we live. So Isaac would learn submission. That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit emphasizes about this child of promise. Then he would also emphasize how he learned to live through suffering. Genesis chapter 23 Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kerjath Arva, that is Hebron, it's another name for Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep with her. Isaac would experience, sadly, the death of his mother. Many of us have. 
One commentary pointed out that Sarah was the only woman in the Bible whose age is recorded at her death. We don't know exactly why that is. Perhaps the Holy Spirit was given some credence to the natural uh, disinclination of women to tell their age. I don't know. I read about a lady who had filled out a new patient form at the doctor's office. The clerk glanced down at the form and said, Ma'am, I see that your birthday is May 25th. May I ask what year? And she responded, Every year. <laughs> I know it's an old joke, but maybe some of you new ones hadn't heard it. <laughs> Every year. Sarah was 127 years old when she died. But what a tragedy that is, as it always is. The heart of that beautiful woman. Sarah was beautiful. What a wonderful and submissive heart she had, by the way. That the Bible extols her, how that she submitted to her husband, calling him Lord, the Bible says. How that that submission was put on display. It's no wonder that Isaac would grow up. Because this was a family, obviously, where Abraham was submitted to God. Where Isaac was submitted, or Sarah was submitted to her husband. And Isaac was submitted then to his parents. Uh, That's what we call lining up. And the Bible extols that also in the New Testament. Now that heart is stilled. It's wonderful and Beautiful woman, born in a pagan city in Ur and far off. No doubt a worshiper of the moon god, as all of them were. She had walked through her husband's pilgrimage with him hand in hand. What an amazing picture that is when Sarah said, We're going to, or Abraham said, Sarah, we're going to move. And Sarah said, Where? Abraham said, I don't know. Just pack. She packed. All those years then of being a pilgrim. And now she's dead. I read of a pastor who met with young couples in preparation for their wedding. And in the midst of all the excitement, he would say to them, If you stay true to your married vows, your nuptial vows, then in all likelihood the day will come when one of you will bury the other. He said, you need to know that up front. Be ready to commit yourself to the kind of love that will carry you that far. Abraham and Sarah had it. And now, it's time for Abraham to bury her. It's more than 60 years before that they had set out on that nameless journey. Going, not knowing where they went. Then she had her husband to guide her. Now she has left him behind. Her whole life was tied to a group of promises. Yet for her, mostly, they remained just promises. God promised her a child. And what a glorious day when that promise came through and Isaac was born. God had also promised to make of them a great nation. But at her death... Hers was just a tiny clan living in a foreign country. God had promised that the land would be theirs, but Sarah would die before Abraham had his name on a single deed to a single piece of property. Sarah's testimony, and indeed that of Abraham, is recorded in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13, these all died in faith, 
not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Isaac was born into that family of pilgrims. Now he's going to watch as Abraham comes to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her in Genesis 23. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth. You know, the hour of death like this is a test for the believer and a testimony to those that are without. A test for the believer, a testimony to those that are without. Our faith in God is perhaps never more prominently on display than when we Stand at the time when someone we love's pilgrimage is over. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we should not sorrow as others who have no hope. And Isaac would learn, no doubt, the lessons that he was taught. So much so that the Holy Spirit would emphasize this again as a part of Isaac's life while he was still under the tutelage of his father Abraham. How to deal with death. How to take that time of suffering. He would learn then from Abraham's confession. Verse 4, as he stood before the sons of Heth, he said, I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. This is the confession that the writer of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 alluded to when Abraham stood confessing that they were strangers and pilgrims here. This had been the confession of his whole life and nothing has changed. The fact that a tragedy has come has not changed Abraham's confession. I am a pilgrim. I am a sojourner. As the writer of the book of Hebrews said, he was looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker was God. Abraham was confessing, this world is not my home. This isn't it. And this great time of tragedy had not changed or altered his father's confession. It is a wonderful thing when you see people you love. And in this case, as Isaac, a young man, looking at his age, Father Abraham would look at him. And you say, even in this moment of tragedy, my dad's still the same man that he's always been. This tragedy hasn't changed him. Hasn't changed his faith. And here, even before those people that were around him, before those who were outside of the realm of faith, the children of Heth, and whose land he dwelled, here is Abraham confessing, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. Remember, the Bible tells us that we're like Isaac. And if you, First Peter, if you call on the Father who, without respect to persons, judgeth according to every man's work, Past the time of your sojourning, your pilgrimage here in fear. That's 1 Peter 1.17. You see, we're pilgrims too. Sojourners. Journeying through to a land that God has promised. He learned then from Abraham's confession in this time of suffering. Isaac would learn from Abraham's courtesy in this time of suffering. Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. Even in this time of tragedy and tears, Abraham is courteous and respectful. 
in dealing with others in whose land he dwelled. And here, again, the life of faith is truly standing out because grief is so powerful and so strong. A lot of people get really hateful and hurtful in an hour of grief. Not Abraham. didn't bring out the worst in him. It brought out the best. So even though his heart is breaking over the death of his beloved Sarah, now he's able to treat these people with great courtesy. Great respect and great dignity. There were certain matters of business and that had to be conducted with this matter of death. He needed a burial plot. That's the bottom line of it all. He needed a place to bury her. Not only then did he show courtesy in this event, but he was also very careful. Uh, as he gathered together the children of Heth, there was one person who had a place that Abraham knew would be just fine. It was a cave. It belonged to Ephron. And uh, he asked him about him, and Ephron answered. He said, My Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. You see, uh, Ephron, offered, Ephron offered to give it to Abraham. Just let him have it. And go bury your dead there. Uh, what uh, Ephron was allowing him, I'll maintain possession. But, but I'll let you bury your dead there. That's what he was saying. But that was not permissible. And so instead he said, well, the, the land, uh, the, the price of it is worth 400 shekels of silver. How many of you know that because Abraham was such a wealthy man, the price of that cave skyrocketed? 400 shekels was a fortune. A fortune. Ephron said, what is that between me and you? Well, it, he knew it wasn't a whole lot of money to Abraham. Abraham had it. <laughs> but he wanted it. Abraham was so careful. He wasn't going to be beholden to these people. He knew that if he put in this, it might not be very long until Sarah's, Sarah's bones would be thrown out somewhere into the rubble he wasn't going to have that so as he showed them great dignity and great respect as he was courteous to them he also paid the full asking price he didn't haggle not a bit didn't say well I'll give you 200 and so they could settle on three no he said the land is worth this much it was a fortune and he paid every shekel how significant is this passage? Abraham died, and this is the only piece of the promised land that he ever had his name on a deed to. God gave him the whole place. It was all his. From the great sea to the Euphrates to the Nile, the whole thing. But the only piece of it that he ever got his name on was this piece of property, burial plot. And he paid every penny for it. Abraham, you see, knew that the world doesn't give, the world takes. Ephron would have been highly offended had Abraham accepted this offer, and he knew it, so he paid him, and he paid him well. And Isaac then could learn a good lesson in his dealings with others. Be very careful. Be very careful in your dealings, especially with those 
outside the faith, but also with those who are inside the faith. Be careful with your business dealings. There's a lot of things we could say about that tonight. We've always been reluctant to trade cars or sell cars to church folk. You know, no offense, WC. Uh, but what happens if the car blows up going down the road? And then, you see, it, it creates a, a bad thing. Always, always as Christians in, Isaac would learn, what a great lesson. Let's go out of the way. Let's go out of our way to make sure that we are not slothful in business. That, that we honor, show honor and respect in a most important way, even to those that are without. And even in a time of grief and heartache. So The story of Isaac, then, is the story of a child of promise. We might expect the Bible to begin by telling us all the things that happened in his childhood. And basically it tells us about what Ishmael did to him. Not a word that Isaac really said was even recorded for us. It told us about what Sarah said. <laughs> what happened to Hagar and Ishmael. How God heard the prayer of Hagar. How God sent an angel to protect her. We, we got all of that story, but... Isaac didn't have anything to do with that, except that he was persecuted, and God used that as an example. But then we see how that Isaac was submitting to his father on that fateful day as a sacrifice, and he learned that great lesson of submission. And he would learn, even in a time of great suffering and sorrow, he would learn of how to deal with others, how to show respect. And how important it is, even during our time of sorrow, to put our testimony of faith in Jesus Christ on display. We, brethren, as Isaac was, we then can learn about the power of submission. How important that is for our testimony. We can learn then from Isaac about the power of doing good business and being respectful of those around us, even though we might be hurting ourselves, we then can have a strong testimony for the cross of Christ. Isaac learned about being a pilgrim on a pilgrimage. And I think that would carry him through most of his life. Now, I'm warning you as we go along in the story, and it's not going to be a long series. It's not going to take us 25 sermons to cover this. But we'll see some things in Isaac's life that are troubling and disturbing. But you know, when we look at the men and women in the mirror every night, we see things that are troubling and disturbing. But over it all, we can learn this great truth that God introduces us to in Galatians chapter 4. We, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. And as was in the case of Isaac, God's promise was not altered to him. And God's promise won't be altered to us either. Have you received that promise of God? Are you a child of promise? You are if you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you haven't, 
I want to encourage you tonight to do that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and thou shalt be saved. Jesus Christ died for you. He didn't stay dead. He rose again. And he gives to you then the message that if you'll believe on him, you'll have everlasting life. Right where you are, whether you're in this building or watching from home, you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, trust him as your Savior, and then you too will become a child of the promise where the overarching principle in your life is not your own wits, not your own sense, uh, not your own power, uh, not your own performance, but the overarching principle in your life will be God's promise to you. Let's stand together, please.